0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, guys. Pastor Riz. That's me. That's what he said. Um, uh, I am the pastor here. My name is Ryan. That is my name that my mother and father gave me. But forever, uh, my nickname has been Riz. And so you can just call me that, even if you've never met, we're friends. You can just call me Rez, and we're good. But um, excited and blessed to be worshiping with you on the first Sunday of the year and to get into the word. And so what we do always is we we dig in and we allow God to speak to us. Uh, We're currently in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 24 is our text today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, please share with someone next to you. Uh, Always, you know, phones these days, you can just open your Bible app and get it. Uh, Teaching out of the NIV, so Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Also, there's Bibles when you come in on the tables right by the doors that you can always snag and use. Borrow, if you don't have one, just take it home. It's our gift to you. But today, we're looking at uh, our dear brother Timothy, a faithful son in the gospel, So why don't you go ahead and read this with me and then we'll pray. Paul speaking here to the church at Philippi, verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. This is the word of the Lord, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we have to read and study and hear you through your word. And God, we know and we believe that your word is, the words that we're speaking over and, and praying through and studying today are God-breathed and God-inspired. And they're profitable for the training and the correction and rebuke of, of the man and woman of God that we might be adequately equipped for every good work. And God, we just ask that we would have receptive hearts to hear from you. We, want, we, we don't want to get in the way of what you want to do in our hearts and how you want to speak to us. And so corporately, we just say, Jesus, have your way. I'll give you this time. I ask, Lord, that, that my mouth would be your mouthpiece, that I would speak your words and you would communicate your truths through me, be your vessel. Pray that you would uh, make us like Timothy, faithful to the work of the gospel. Pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm not sure if you ever have started your own business or you've known someone that has. But not only is that just hard in itself, but many times what makes it hard when you start a business or when you have a lot of responsibility or when there's in any type of work that you do, if you're the one mainly doing it, you're trained for it, it kind of all lands upon you. What's really hard about that, not only because you have a lot of responsibility and it's all on your shoulders, but it's hard to like not work. It's hard to be gone. If you have a retail store, like a coffee shop, right, you start it, you're the only one to get a day off. The store needs to be closed unless you have someone else, right, that knows it like you do, that's good at it, that's trained, that has the same DNA or whatever it is that you want your business to be. Same is true if you're at a job, you didn't start a coffee shop, but you just want to go on a vacation, right? You need someone, unless you can just close that business or whatever. You need someone to do your work for you. You need like a replacement or a co-manager or whatever it is. Um, you may or may not know what I'm talking about, but probably most of you in some way or another have experienced this, right? You, it's, it's really hard to get someone to be you in that that place. But when that happens, right, when you've trained someone or someone's at that same level, or like if you start a business and you can get your first day off because you hired a manager, that is the best feeling in the whole world, right? It's so joyful that someone else is doing what you're doing or even the hopes would be they're doing it better than you could ever do, right? That's the hope, That's that's the joy. What we see here in the rest of chapter two of Philippians are these two guys. Today, Timothy, next week, Epaphroditus. And these guys are doing just that with the gospel. These are men that Paul has poured into and raised up and now they're doing the work of the ministry while he is currently in prison. These two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, They're in Rome with Paul currently. If you remember the context of the letter of Philippians, Paul is in prison in Rome. If you remember the very first verse of chapter one of Philippians, it says Paul and Timothy. Timothy is with Paul in Rome, not in prison, but in Rome with Paul, and so is Epaphroditus. And these two guys are caring for and supporting and just being there for Paul while he's in prison. And Paul is using them in this letter. He's speaking to the church in Philippi, talking about the various things that Timothy and Epaphroditus will go and do, right? They're going to come back to you and they're going give to give me a report on how you're doing. But, but really what Paul is doing is he's using Timothy and Epaphroditus as case studies for us. A lot of what Philippians 2, actually the end of chapter 1 into 2 has been, is Paul trying to encourage the church in Philippi of like their conduct, how you should act and react, how you should be as Christians, how you should serve the Lord and love the Lord and and so forth. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are like case studies for us that they've done it. They're doing it. They're continuing to do it. And so look at them. What happened was, just to give us a little bit of context or be reminded, is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? shortly after his conversion where God saved him, he wasn't always following Jesus. He actually was a persecutor of the church. Saul of Tarsus, he was called. He gets saved. God radically just transforms him, and he becomes this like evangelist and apostle and church planter, and he goes on his famous missionary journeys. Three of them. He's done that, and now he's was in Jerusalem, preaching the gospel, gets arrested now in Rome. But on those three journeys, what he was doing was he was spreading the gospel. He was proclaiming the good news to every Jew and Gentile, leaving the Middle East, into Europe, unchurched, and he was going for it. And on the second missionary journey, um, he met young Timothy. And what's cool is it's in Acts chapter 16. That we see, the first few verses of Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul meets this young man named Timothy that was a Christian, a believer. He meets him in uh, Lystra, and shortly after that, if you remember anything about Acts chapter 16, we see the formation of the church of Philippi. So the Lord tells Paul to go preach the gospel in Macedonia, literally like go to Europe for the first time. And the first Christian church is started, it's the church of Philippi. It's the first church in Europe. Timothy is beside Paul when this is happening. This is what's so cool about this. This is some 10 to 15 years prior to this letter written when this happens. And so Paul right now is with Timothy in Rome. He's writing to the church in Philippi that they both helped start in Acts chapter 16. And since then, Timothy has been Paul's prodigy. He's been this young guy that's just like soaking up all that Paul has done. Been by Paul's side. Paul's thrown him into a bunch. Like when he's not ready, just go for it, Timothy. You can do it. This is the story of their relationship. Paul has disciple Timothy. He's been his companion. He's been his partner. And then we even have New Testament letters that Paul has written Timothy, right? First and second Timothy. Those are letters that Paul has writing to Timothy. They're apart. Timothy's on his own. He's kind of doing what Paul was doing like a leader in the church, raising up elders, like way far out of Timothy's comfort zone. But Paul is writing these letters that we have that we can study and look to. And it's Paul, this older, more mature father of the faith that's, that's grabbed a hold of young Timothy from his house in Lystra, started the church of Philippi, and for 10 or 15 years, they've been doing it together. And it's way more than a working relationship. It's way more than a... Um, like just strictly job, service, put your time in, it's become a very close personal relationship. And Timothy has become a son to Paul, so to speak, in the faith. Even our text today in verse 22, it says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Not only is he a partner, not only is my, am I discipling him, but we're knit together in unity and he's become my son in the faith. We even know from 2 Timothy, Paul alludes to Timothy's family life. And we know from Acts and from 2 Timothy that we know a little bit about Timothy's dad, that he was Greek. But other than that, we hear a lot about Timothy's, not a lot, but some about Timothy's mom and his grandmother. It seems like Timothy was a mama's boy raised by his mom and his grandma that were, that were believers, strong believers. And so Timothy was grown up in the faith. He was a believer when Paul met him. But in a, in a big sense, we can, we can gather, we can speculate that Timothy didn't grow up with his dad pictured or it wasn't mentioned or he wasn't a believer. And so in many ways, Paul was filling this void as Timothy's spiritual father and perhaps an earthly one also. He's taking young Timothy under his wing and says, let's do this together. John Stott would sum up their relationship like this in this quote. It says, for, for over 15 years, since Timothy had first been recruited in his hometown of Lystra, Timothy had been Paul's faithful missionary companion." He had traveled with him throughout most of the second and third missionary journeys and had been sent as a trusted apostolic delegate on several special missions. It is not just that Paul has a strong affection for Timothy as a friend whom he had evidently led to Christ so that he could call call him his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. It is also that he had grown to trust Timothy as his fellow worker, and his brother and God's servant in the gospel of Christ. Paul would go as far to say, I have no one like him. Among all Paul's associates, Timothy was unique. And what we're gonna see, we're gonna look into today a bit more is that Timothy has been a faithful, reliable partner in the furthering of the gospel. And that's why Paul is doing what he's doing in the section today. Paul is trusting Timothy to go to the church at Philippi on his behalf as a messenger, as a delegate to communicate things and to receive news back. And what he's doing here in this letter, he's also communicating, if not boasting to the church in Philippi, how awesome Timothy is. Remember, they know Timothy a bit. He was young Timothy about 10 or 15 years ago. He was with Paul when the church started. The church has grown Paul's writing this letter, but they know of Timothy. They've seen him. They've heard about him a bit. But what he's doing here and what he's done elsewhere is that he always sees, he has seen Timothy as a gift because of his character of Christ. He's become trustworthy. He's become a proved disciple of Christ. It's been awesome. Timothy's this rad. But naturally, Timothy isn't like this amazing, awesome, courageous, bold guy. He's actually not like Paul at all. Paul is like the go-getter, type A, pioneer. Like, you probably wouldn't like Paul that much, honestly. Like, he's just like strong. Like, he's just the, the apostolic going to plant churches. Like, he has to correct people a lot. I mean, it's awesome. But Timothy is nothing like Paul. He's the opposite, actually. He's timid. Some people would nickname him like Timid Tim. That's him. Like he's not bold. He's not courageous by nature. In in Paul's second letter to Timothy, this is why Paul would say, for God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of timidity, you guys know, but of power and love and of a sound mind or of discipline. That verse that we quote, like God hasn't given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind—that's Paul writing to Timothy. It's for us. It's true. God has not given us that spirit of fear, too. Like we're in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. But but Timothy was timid in all sense of the word. Literally, that that word right there, timid, in its original language, means cowardice. It's the only time in the New Testament that that's words used. I mean, so what's it saying here? Is Timothy, you're not a coward. You may think that, you may feel like that. People may have told you that, but you're not. Timothy had kind of a lot against him in the world's eyes or to do what God was calling him to do or what Paul was wanting him to do. Timothy was young. He actually talks about that he had some like physical ailments. He was, he was ill a lot. He was prone to ill. He was like weak and fragile, maybe. And he also, like we just heard, he was timid in temperament probably was an introvert, probably needed alone time. He was probably not the life of the party. Again, Paul was the opposite. Paul was like the bull in the china shop. God used him. It was great. It was awesome. But Timothy is the opposite of what Paul was. If anything, the world would kind of say, especially like leadership in the church, going forth, pioneering, like preaching the gospel, you might be like, you kind of don't have it. Like, you're definitely not the first guy I would pick. That's, that's, the, that's the Timothy we're talking about here. But what we see is that God has and is and will immensely use him in the midst of how he was wired. With all that stuff, with his personality and his introvertedness and his, like, I don't like people. I need, like, my alone time. If you notice, I'm not really introverted, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm not, but I I know it. My wife is. And so I get it. I get it. I get it. But God does this, right? His plans and his purposes were that Timothy would be a pillar of the faith and a leader and an elder and a communicator of the truth and a faithful witness. And there's a truth that we need to grab hold of today. It's not just about Timothy but it's about all of us, is that God isn't looking for like the overachiever or the performer. Oh, you're good, you're gifted, you're awesome, you're, you're, you got it, so now I'm gonna use you. Many times, if you know the Bible, many times God does not use the overachiever and the performer, he does sometimes, but many times he uses the least likely in the world's eyes, the last to be picked for the team, the young, the timid, the underdog, not the first choice. This was blatantly clear with the disciples that Jesus chose to spread the gospel to the entire world. This is not the guys. (laughs) Like you would have been so blown away that Jesus picked his disciples. Like just fishermen, Galilean fishermen, fishermen doesn't even know him, sees him fishing, right, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew, lay down your nets, come follow me. What qualifications does Matthew, the third generation fisherman, have? Nothing. Like, what about like the tax collectors, and what about Judas? like, what about the people that Jesus picked? They were like, The tax collectors and the fishermen, they were the people that were unsuspecting. They were not the educated and the well-trained and the well-liked. These are the underdogs. These are not the first choice. But this is who God picked. Think of David, King David, right? A man after God's own heart. You know, King David. But do you remember how he was picked as king? Do you remember? Like 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, we get the account of God picking the next king. And what happens when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, the dad? Jesse, like, arranges all his sons. Who's not in the house at the time? David. His dad, Jesse, David's dad, didn't even think that it was possible that, that David would be king. Too young, too, like, squirrely, whatever it was, he was tending in the fields the sheep. But God had told Samuel that, right? It's not any of these guys. And so he has to say, like, you have any more sons? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got that one, but you don't want that one. He's like, no, that's the king. That's King David. That's him. That's who God picked. Even David's own father, Jesse, didn't think he was the type of guy for the kingdom. But, but the famous verse that we all know and we all say Comes from 1 Samuel 16, seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We say that, that's true, but that's, that's, that's here. That's the context is God saying that about King David. Short guy like that. If you notice, I'm kind of short. God's like, dude, I don't he's in the fields. I know he's your last son. I know he's young. He's a short guy. Like everything doesn't say king. Everything doesn't say king. But God said, no, 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 no. That's who I want. See, I personally would take faithfulness over gifting all day long. Like, I I honestly, like. Don't really care if you're the most amazing person ever and you have the most giftings and talents. If you don't have faithfulness and you aren't reliable and you're not trustworthy, none of that matters. It doesn't. We're like, I'm awesome. I'm the best at this. Well, have you been faithful with that though? Are you trustworthy? Are you reliable? Are you able to like, can I commit? Can, can I depend on you? See, Timothy was not the gifted, he was not the the most giftings. But what happened was, is that because of who he was, just saying yes to the Lord, he became trustworthy and reliable. And the thing is, is I think I feel that way because I've seen it so much in the church where people are like, I'm amazing, let me do everything. Let me like be on the stage, I'll do the service, I'm good. I can run the whole show. I say, okay, well, why don't you just, like, can you stack the chairs first? No, I can't do that. It's like, well, okay, so you, you only want to do this? Like, I, I, you see what I'm getting at? And I believe I feel that way because God also fears that way. But, like, what made Timothy reliable? Right? What, what made him trustworthy? Because he was weak. He was lacking of gifting. He was lacking of confidence. He wasn't enthusiastic like Paul. But what made him reliable and trustworthy to the point where Paul could have chosen anybody. He's choosing Timothy and God is using Timothy radically. What made him that way? Well, I think it comes down to like four main things. And I actually learned this from a Paul in my own life that made me his Timothy. I had this relationship for quite a long time where someone poured into me, like Paul to a Timothy, and and trained me up in the faith. And it was in high school when he, in true high school youth group form, gave me this acronym. You're gonna laugh, it's okay. This acronym is HATS. It was, it's honestly, I've remembered it for like 20 years now. But but it's HATS. And he says, if you wanna be used by the Lord, if you wanna radically go Like, if you want God to use you and you don't want to get in the way and you just want to, like, be used and have kingdom fruit, then use this as a valuable and useful tool to check your heart. That acronym HATS means humility, have availability, have teachability, and be spirit-filled. And so many years ago in youth group, as a Timothy, my Paul, said, Strive to be this. Check your heart with this. Allow this to be your gauge for the way in which you live your life, you treat other people, you serve in the church, or whether it be just like how you, how you do work at your own job, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids. Is it? Are you doing what you're doing with humility? When it comes to the Lord, are you available? Are you like, or are you saying, God, I'll serve you here, that, and the other, but I'm closed these days? Or are you available? Are you willing to do? Are you teachable or are you spirit-filled? If we look at Timothy as a test case here, when it comes to humility, I think you would gather that Timothy never thought highly of himself. He always thought highly of God and of other people. Even here in our verses today, verse 20 and 21 today, Paul says, there is no one else who shows more concern for Christ and for others than Timothy. That's a bold statement for the apostle Paul to say. You never once like see Timothy as this like big headed, proud guy. Timothy always thought highly of God and, and others, had his priorities right. And he acted and served and loved in humility. Got to use that. Also, availability for Timothy. Let's think about that. If there's anyone, (laughs) if you're a Timothy introvert and Paul comes to your hometown and he says, Come with me, (laughs) you would be like, It's so crazy that Timothy said yes to this. Like, he was, I'm sure, and still, like, I mean, right here, so fearful of his inadequacies. Like, I'm not the guy, right? I'm sure he struggled with, like, I'm not the guy, Paul. Like, I am not the one to do this. But despite his fears and his inadequacies, Timothy was willing to follow and obey God into whatever crazy thing he was calling him into. Not because he was prepared and not because he was adequate and not because he was gifted, right? So many times we think, like, we think that way. I have to be prepared. I have to be trained. I have to be adequate. I'm not gifted to do that. That's not a thing. That's not like a gauge that we should be thinking about. Well, is God calling you into it? Well, if he calls, he's going to enable you to do it. End of story. Well, but I'm fearful. I'm inadequate. Timothy, think of Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, on his own volition, would have never been doing what he's doing alongside Paul, but he was willing and God can do anything with a willing heart. There is no limit to it. Right? Teachability. Dude, Timothy, he knew he needed instruction and he knew he needed to grow. Like, and he was open to it from Paul. Like, all the time, like, he did things, you know what I mean? Like, he's a young believer, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he knew his place, and so he accepted, received, and he put into practice what Paul taught him. He grew, and he became more like Christ, and more effective to the gospel, because he was teachable. And then also, uh, Timothy was spirit-filled. His weaknesses, if you think about it, were actually a gift that promoted dependency, Right, because if, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're super gifted and talented and able, you struggle probably with trusting God and being dependent and like desperate for him because you feel like you can do it on your own. And so that's a real issue. Like giftings cannot always be a blessing. It can actually be like a struggle to trust God. But Timothy, well, he, he wasn't really good at anything. His shortcomings became a strength. He was very aware of his shortcomings and it caused him to trust in God's strength and not his own ability. His shortcomings were actually his gift to push him into dependency. For us, thinking of us and and knowing us and our own attitudes and thinking about our stance towards God using us, I wanna encourage us to pray for and walk in these same things to see God use us for his glory in the same ways. If you know anything, God is opposed to pride. says that. Like God opposes the pride in the book of James. Like pride is the wall that, that, that you set up in your own hearts that God is actually against. When we think highly of ourselves and not as high of God, We actually are in opposition to God in that place. He's opposing us when we're prideful. And so it's a necessity that we walk in humility, that we don't think highly of ourselves than we should. Also, not, not being willing, right? Not being available to do the hard stuff is the moment that God just uses someone else. Like, he just just will. He wants his kingdom to come. He wants to use us. He desires to use us. But the moment that we say, no, well, God's just going to use someone else. We're going to miss out on, on being used by the Lord and all that God has for us. Like, God can work with everything except unwillingness. Everything. All your junk, all your inadequacies, all your personality types, all the stuff he has against you. God can work with it. But the moment you say no to God, you're unwilling to do what he wants. Like he can't, what is he going to do? He can't work with that. Man, teachability. So big. Being, being willing to be correctable. See, the thing is, if we aren't correctable in our lives, if you're, you know, that person that's untouchable, it's never wrong, it's always defensive, that never wants to grow and learn and receive like constructive criticism, if that's you... That's a big problem. You've probably experienced that already, like with your families and your workplace and like if you're just always on the defensive. But when it comes to the Lord, if we aren't correctable, you're actually like pushing away the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work. That's, that's a big deal. Like God wants to do like deep sanctifying work in us. And if we're not willing to like receive from people in our life, then we're missing out on like the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in us. Don't get me wrong. Like, dude, being corrected by someone is like the worst thing ever. Like, it's so hard to just receive and be okay and like accept that we're wrong and like admit faults. That's like so hard. I get that. But we have to be. We have to be available and willing to be correctable by the, corrected by the Lord. And also, I mean, you guys know this. I mean, if you don't, then there's nothing worse than doing anything for God in the flesh. Man, that is such a dangerous, ugly slope when we, when we don't rely on the Lord, we don't trust in God and we just muscle it up and try harder and just try to live for the Lord and do good and love people on our own strength. You guys know where that leads, burnout and discouragement and despair. We aren't supposed to. We're not supposed to, to follow Christ on our own strength, but we're supposed to do it by the power of the Spirit. And Timothy is like a, maybe a model example for us. And that's the same thing I, I would say about Peter. See, see, Paul, in my opinion, is hard to relate to. Some, some of us may. But, but I like Timothy and I like Peter because it feels like, man, these guys are like, they don't have it. They're prone to mess up. They disobey the Lord. They're not the guys for the team that you would pick. It feels like a lot of us. We're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I'm not this natural born leader and gifted and I've got it all together like Paul, but I'm more like a Peter or like a Timothy. And for me, man, it's, it's so encouraging to see the Lord use Timothy. He chose to use Timothy because Timothy was willing to be faithful in the little. He was willing to be faithful to whatever ever God had for him. And and Jesus hits this idea hard, being faithful with the little. Right? You guys probably know the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. It's this parable of, you know, giving out talents and the master's away for a while. And then he comes back and he examines what the servants do with these talents, if they were good stewards of what was given to them or not. The big overarching takeaway is that with the things that the Lord gives us, we're to be faithful with them. Even if they're little and insignificant, be faithful with the little. And God, once you're faithful, that will entrust you with much. I think this is so important because the hard and the mundane and the boring and the hard stuff over time develops good character. There is such deep work that God does in us when we're faithful in the little. And you know what it does? It sets our hearts right. I, I experienced this first in my life, not, not in the church actually, or in my relationship with Christ, but I actually did it in one of my first jobs. Um, if you're familiar with California at all, there's this amazing burger place called In-N-Out Burger. I'm from California. And this was like one of my first high school jobs. I worked there for like all of high school into college. So I'm like in and out guy. So if you don't like it, just don't talk to me. So what happens is though, like a lot of jobs, you get hired and you do like the lowliest thing. Like there's levels at in and out. And so level one is like sweeping the dining room, sweeping the parking lot, because like the birds pull out trash from the, you know, wiping people's tables down. Like you're the trash guy. You take out boxes, you break down the boxes, you put them in the trash can. This is it. This is level one. And then in level two, you go to like counter orders, take people's orders, which I like because I'm like a people person. So like, I love talking to people. You want your order? You want onions with that? There's the whole thing. So, you know, in level three, I didn't go super high up the chain. Um, I got, well, there's like seven levels before you become a manager. It's like a whole crazy world, In-N-Out Burger. Level three is where, like, I stayed. That was the fries. I was, like, really good at fries. No, serious. Like, if you've been to In-N-Out, if you know, if you go to California, you got to go. It's like windows where the food is made. So you're, like, all oh, making it. The fry guy, I mean, he's, like, doing it. He's, these are real potatoes. You got to go in the back. You got to core them out. You got to use, like, a Hobart. You know what that is? Like, a peeler. And then you spin because they get dry. And then you got to. You got to time it all. It's actually not just like drop them in the thing. Okay, it's fries. Is so they would put me on like the fries. i put my time in. So like rush Friday night, Saturday night, I would be the fry guy. That's where actually my nickname came from. Ask me about it later. Doing the fries at In-N-Out Burger. That's, that's where it came from. But what happened was working at this job where it's very team focused, it's assembly line. Like they pay you well, but they work you well in and out, right? And so I Ingrained in me from In-N-Out Burger are all these like incredible like work ethic lessons from all these like really hard, mundane, like not fun always, except the fries. I was into that. But what happened was is these deeply like ingrained lessons about customer service and teamwork. And one of their main phrases is if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. This is like thing. Like if there was ever a time where you weren't doing something, there was something to do. There was always a time to clean. So you never, ever, ever could do nothing. It's almost worked me in the wrong direction where I'm like more of a workaholic now. Because I'm like, time to lean, time to clean. Yeah. Like why am I, st- stuff to do. But, no seriously, it was, it's was good. If you have a business, like teach your employees that. Get them in trouble if they don't. It's a good system. You get, you get fired if you didn't like clean when you're, there was nobody around. It's awesome. Anyway. Kind of sounds hard now, but it was good. It was good. My point is, there is far greater value when we are faithful to Christ on a kingdom level. Right? There's eternal fruit that God will use us to come to pass when we are faithful with whatever God puts before us the little, mundane, the whatever. Or maybe it's a season that God has and you're just in that season for a long time. You're like, God, what's happening? Be faithful to what God puts in front of you that day or that hour. right? Despite our abilities or our personality types or what what, what we're into, there is no limit to what God will use you four, if we have a posture of humility and availability and teachability and we're filled with the spirit, the world, I mean, like I'm talking, there's no limit to the crazy things God will call you and use you for. We need more Timothys in the world. Yeah, we need Pauls. I'm not totally bagging on you like A-type pioneers. I have a little bit of that in me but we need more Timothys in the world. We need more Timothys in our church. Man, as as a pastor, speaking on like this side for a second, like, and every single pastor will agree with me. They pray for, wish for, just more people that would just be faithful. Like, yeah, we want the gifted. Yeah, we want the preachers. Yeah, we want all this stuff. But man, like, even Jesus said t- to his disciples, hey, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, beseech the Lord of the harvest for more workers. That's like the end old thing that all of us pastors get together, like, volunteers, oh my gosh, people are just so unfaithful. Like, no, honestly, all the time, like, it, we don't, you know, when you get together, it's more of like, we're, we're sh- we should be shepherds by nature, so we care about the sheep, we care about you guys, and Paul did too, and he cared about Timothy. And and Jesus cared about it. God cares about faithfulness. We need more Timothys in the world and Timothys in our church that has an attitude that is for Christ that's just willing to do whatever. Like what you wanna be is you wanna be a yes man to Jesus or a yes woman to Jesus. You guys know that phrase, like you're a yes man. Usually that's a bad thing, right? Because you never say no and you don't have any boundaries and like I don't really know what you're thinking if you always say yes to me. But when it comes to what God has for you, you want to be a yes man. That's what Timothy was. God, what do you have for me? Okay, go with this crazy guy, Paul. Where am I going? I don't know. But if it's with you, I'm in. He was available. He was willing. And for us, that might be like we just are willing to take out the trash. We're willing to do that thing. We're willing to do the hard stuff. But because God's asking us to do it, we're willing to do it. So what I want us to do as a church, I want to like charge us, exhort us, where we can start is to ask God for a heart that is humble and available and teachable. Because it really all starts there, right? It starts in our heart. For me, you know, it's not always like that. I'm this like amazing person now that always says yes to the Lord. I struggle also. But there, especially when I well, stopped in and out Burger, went to college, did that whole thing. There was a time where I really had a problem trusting God with this. I was at a turning point in my life and God was calling me into ministry. And at first I was not willing to say yes. I was 21 at the time. And God was calling me into full-time ministry. And what it meant was laying down, like I was going to college and I was pursuing other stuff. And God says, this is what I have for you. And what's crazy is, is I I do feel like I had a choice. I feel like I had a choice to say no to God. I don't know how it would have turned out or how that would have worked. I think it would have been disobedient. But I think I had a choice. God wasn't forcing me into it. But I remember struggling with having this kind of heart. Being humble and available and teachable and doing whatever God has. And there was a pivotal moment where I remember I surrendered. I just said, you know what, God? Like, I remember, like, the night where I was telling this to the Lord, I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It was, like, the best, the hardest, the most freeing. Like, it was the right thing to do, though. And that has absolutely defined who I am now. It's the reason why I'm here now. Because God, to, God, God told me and my wife to, like, leave our home and go start a church in Hawaii. But I know I had to say yes. I told God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It was a struggle; it was hard, but I believe that we need to individually and as a church ask God for a humble, available, and teachable heart, so that we will able to be like, you know what, God, your ways are better than my ways. It's not my will, but it's your will. I'm available. I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Yep, God, I want to be corrected. I want. I want to be taught. I want to grow. But lastly, we can't do any of that unless we're desperate and dependent upon Christ. Like we have to be in that place that apart from Christ we can do nothing. We need to get on our knees and cry out to the Lord in prayer. We need to wake up in the morning and not think like, I got this together, I'm gonna to conquer this day. We need to be like, God, I can't do this without you. Use me for your glory, even like the mundane and all the stuff, the responsibilities, the job and the work and the bills and the family. God, I can't do any of this unless you do it through me. We need to be in that place of dependency. But I want to charge us this morning to not be defined or led by your weaknesses or your faults or your inadequacies. Because to God, those things do not matter. That's not important. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So church, let's come before the Lord as we continue to worship and ask God for humble, available, teachable, and spirit-filled lives. Amen? Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that you love us and care about us so much and that you desire to have our hearts to be to transform us to be more like you but God we know that we need to be humble and available and teachable and spirit filled we need to be willing and so God we need, we need heart change we need like deep work for you to do in our hearts so that we are like Timothy that say. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you have me do. God, I pray that you would do a deep work in all of us, that you would raise us up, like that, we, that not only would we want to do the little things, but you would call us like Timothy away from our homeland to foreign nations that do not know you. God, we want to be faithful with a little, but God, would you call us As a church, to be a part of your your global mission to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to be able to say yes to taking out the trash just as much as yes to leaving our home and going forth to other people that don't know you. Holy Spirit, would you do that in us? Would you do that? Would you call us? Would you would you enable us? Make us humble. Pray that we would think more of God than ourselves. So God, we exalt you in this place right now, in this time of worship. We just say that you are the one that needs to be praised. You're you're the only one deserving and worth our worship. So we pray as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would worship you now for who you are and what you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.